Welcome to the Stratcom podcast series. I'm Omar Kablan. I'm a presenter at TRT World. I host a show called Double Check. Today, we'll be talking about technology. And I have David Tuffley next to me, who is a science communicator with a focus on the social impact of technology, in particular in the fields of artificial intelligence and managing data breaches in the cybersecurity world. Uh, David is an academic, a high-profile academic at Griffith University in Queensland, Australia. David, thanks for joining us. Just to kick it off, can we basically start with the evolution of technology over the last several years? So how is it evolving so rapidly and what is its impact on society as it changes? Well, thanks, Omar. It's very good to be with you uh, and thanks for that introduction. Look, we've seen some tremendous growth in the past few years. I suppose it would be rightly called exponential growth in the sense that each year it seems to gather more pace, more speed. And, you know, that in itself is a challenge for many people. I think human nature is, is such that uh, we see things in natural sort of one step after another terms. and geometric means every step doubles with the next step. And uh, that really starts to accelerate very fast. So we are seeing huge advances in fields like artificial intelligence, in virtual reality, in data science, and various other fields, of course, cybersecurity as well, because as everything develops, uh, there, there are also those who would try to take advantage of the situation uh, unlawfully. So, look, we are entering into a, a period of unprecedented growth, and I think that uh, it's no overstatement to say that in several hundred years, history will record that this period of human history was as significant as the Renaissance or other major turning points in human history. This is the period when technology really began to go exponential. So there's, there's plenty to talk about in this whole area. I'm happy to uh, delve into whatever area you would like to hear about. So just when you talk about exponential growth of technology and that, you know, it's us who are experiencing this, do you think eventually it'll get out of control, get out of hand because of that exponential growth? Do you think technology would become threatening for society? You know, that is, that is a, a constant concern, it certainly is for many people, and it is a real concern that has to be properly managed. It is a risk, uh, but it is a manageable risk. Now, I, I say that with confidence because humans from the earliest times have had dangerous technologies. Uh, you could really say that fire was the, the first such technology. It had tremendous benefits, you know, in cooking of food and heating and light and protection and so on but it also could burn down the village and so we needed or early humans needed to figure out how to safely use that technology and now we do have a, a bit of a you know we're not perfect in managing the risks of these things but humans are very adaptable and down through our history we've had many potentially very dangerous technologies and we've always managed to work out the best way to use them you know to get the the benefits and to manage the risks down to a very acceptable level. So to answer your question about the future of technology, the way I see it is that 
there are areas like, let's say, artificial intelligence is getting smarter. If we were so foolish as to put the artificial intelligence in charge of running things, then, well, the results might be unpredictable, if not dangerous. But that would be really foolish, a very foolish thing to do. AI is a tool and it can really help humans to do a much better job at the jobs that they already do. It's a force magnifier but the human always remains in control of it or should always remain in control of it. And so there is that potential risk in the future that technology could harm us. But, you know, we are getting pretty good at managing that risk. And as time goes by, I see that the world is becoming a safer place generally. There is more focus on safety. There is more consideration and effort put into making things safe. So, yeah, I think to answer your original question, I think we are needing to be careful, but I think it is a manageable risk. And can we just specifically talk about social media applications these days that we're all prevalently using? So has that changed the way human beings communicate with each other? You know, what's been the the direct impact of applications like Twitter, Facebook and Instagram on society? Yeah, it's a paradox, actually. The ability of social media to connect people is unprecedented in human history. We are now connected to far more people than we ever were before, but they're not connections in the real sense, in the sense of a face-to-face relationship that people have with each other. They are a more abstract form, a cut-down form that removes some of the you know the humanity from the process yes we can talk to each other and we can even see each other but uh you know there is there is increasing levels of alienation in in the current generation of of social media users in the sense that we we spend more time on social media but essentially we are alone with ourselves but we are talking to other people uh, it's not the same as being with those other people. So on one level, we are we have tremendous opportunities to to communicate with other people. But you know, it has led some people, perhaps quite a few people, to spend too much time and to become a little bit unbalanced in the way that they uh, live their lives. You know, I'm a great believer in work-life balance or or just finding balance in life generally. And, you know, I'm, I'm in the technology world and I spend a lot of time working with technology and I enjoy it. But I also make very sure that I spend enough time uh, out in nature, you know, walking through the forest, swimming in the ocean, working in the garden, doing, doing things that um, are not at all connected with technology. And it brings me back to a more balanced state. You know, when you can feel the sunshine on your skin and, you know, f- smell the, uh, the, the mown grass as you, as you mow. So, yeah, it's, it is something that, um, that people do need to, I think, arrive at a solution for themselves. And, and I think that's why we're starting to hear about such things as digital, digital detox, which really just means, you know, <laughs> taking a break, an enforced break from one's social media. You know, it's interesting you say that because 
of course, a lot of these applications say they're trying to connect people together, bring them together from different parts of the world. And recently I was reading uh, the work of a French academic whose name escapes me now. And he was saying exactly what you were saying, that there's a million ways to communicate except communication itself. And that's some of the scenes we're seeing all around the world. Uh, David, so can we talk about algorithms as well a little bit? Because this is a mm-hmm. really interesting topic. Uh, yep. Algorithms are everywhere, all around us. They're always at work. So yeah. do you find the way algorithms work problematic because do we really know how they operate? Yeah, it's a, that's a great question that goes to the heart of, of the modern dilemma with technology. Uh, you've put your finger on it there. An algorithm is not a, a well-understood concept. Uh, you know, in very general terms, it's just a series of instructions that tells the computer how to behave. It's, it's a form of programming. And so there are no bad algorithms. There are only bad programmers of algorithms. Uh, so they can be programmed to, to do anything that the human controlling mind behind it d- wants it to do. Uh, and, you know, the great majority of, of programmers are professional and do a good job, but no one's perfect and there are unforeseen issues. So, for example, um, an example that I heard was um, a, a medical-based AI, you know, an AI is basically run by algorithms, uses training data, which is just historical data going back in time of the topic that they're looking to learn about. And the training data that this AI was using was from the 1970s, when the majority of doctors were male and the majority of nurses were female. And training on that data, the current AI formed the impression based on that data that that was still the case, that most doctors are male. Well, in fact, in hospitals, I I believe, in some hospitals anyway, there are more female doctors now than male. And not all nurses are female these days. There are quite a few men doing it. So that was an unforeseen um, error. It wasn't intentional, but when it became apparent, it could be corrected. And that's really the the important thing to, to know is that Algorithms, whilst they may not be perfect, are correctable. And if there is an issue like that, it can be you know, rectified and, and the problem is no longer there. So, yeah, I mean, basically, if somebody is malicious, has malicious intent, then they could probably, if they could get someone to program it that way, that might potentially be a problem. But, you know, in practice, it doesn't, you know, it's, it's too hard to do this and, and getting malicious people to do it is, is very very hard, I think. So, you know, I'm not aware of any, any really dangerous examples of that, really just inadvertent errors like the one I just mentioned about the doctors and the nurses. And can we just talk about artificial, artificial intelligence as well? Now, obviously, this is, you know, a huge field. And when we read the news, there are also lots of reports about how this has become an artificial intelligence arms race between certain superpowers. And, you know, even though we read about these stories, we don't really know uh, the capacity of what this form of artificial intelligence can do, what type of impact it can have on ordinary people. So can you talk about that a little bit? 
Yeah, uh, look, uh, this is a very hotly debated topic uh, in the whole AI world these days, uh, you know, and it's spilled over into the into the mainstream media. There is an argue for and against artificially intelligent weapons systems. On the plus side, you have got the removal of frail human beings from harm's way. And let's face it, humans are easily damaged physically and psychologically. You know, soldiers in battle can get post-traumatic stress, which, you know, basically ruins them for the rest of their lives. And, you know, it's a very high price to pay. So there is that advantage. On the other side, there is the potential for these weapons to fall into the wrong hands, to be used in by terrorists, for example, uh, in ways that would really be quite harmful. And, that, and also uh, to not have fully autonomous, artificial intelligently controlled weapons so that you couldn't just set them loose and they just go ahead and do everything that they need to do. There is a very strong lobby among some AI scientists against this notion, and they're trying to get governments to legislate against it. It is a bit of a difficult task because the governments that are complying with these rules or these who are complying with the idea of banning such weapons are not the ones who have invested billions of dollars into the development of such weapons in the first place. All of the countries doing that, like the US, like China, like others, well, they're not signing up to it. And, um, and so we have these autonomous weapon systems. So are we really in a lot of trouble with this? Well, again, potentially, but what people don't quite realize is that there is a lot of logistical and technical support required for these weapons. And a terrorist organization is unlikely to have a fully equipped sort of support network or support crew that would enable these things to be used. They are actually very complicated and difficult things to, you know, to get to work. And so I think the risk is fairly minor. Um, well, I guess some people would disagree with that. But uh, from my perspective, I think there's a far greater danger from low-tech weapons, such as improvised explosive devices, such as we've seen in, in conflicts for years now. I mean, these are quite easily put together. Not so easy to get autonomous weapons together. You know, I don't think we're even close to reaching consensus in the AI world as to how things should be. I know that the militaries of various countries, I know the military in Australia, have spent a lot of time and effort in developing ethical guidelines for the development of artificially intelligent weapons. You know, and so if you have those guidelines, they can then be programmed into the algorithms that control those weapons. And, you know, there's an advantage there, actually, because in the heat of battle, a soldier you know, who is terrified and, and disoriented and bombs going off left and right, they can forget their ethical obligations in the heat of the moment, but a computer won't. And so it will continue to follow its programming. And so long as it's been programmed correctly, then, you know, it can be relied on to behave itself according to the ethical principles involved. So, look, it's a really tough question to, to give a good answer to. And the whole field is evolving rapidly. 
So, you know, the answers are becoming elusive uh, even as we speak. David, and, you know, when we talk about technology in general, of course, as well, and how it kind of intersects with pop culture, you know, for example, when we see in film and television, for example, I think some of us are disappointed that by now, you know, flying cars aren't prevalent in society or uh, self-leasing shoes, as we saw in Back to the Future, which predicted these yeah. to happen in 2015. So I guess in some ways, it's still quite unpredictable when we'll reach a certain technological height. Do you agree? Yeah. Yes, I do. And the interesting thing about that is the, the, what's holding it back is not the technology. It is social acceptance of the technology. People aren't that comfortable with rapid change. They will resist it. It's uncomfortable. So the pace of technological change is largely determined by how quickly and how easily people get comfortable with the idea of it. So, for example, well, with COVID and the lockdowns and everything, suddenly Zoom and other video conferencing tools became the indispensable tool that everybody used to, you know, life went on and we did business according to the video conferencing rather than face-to-face. But, I, you know, it's not that long ago and I remember people being quite uncomfortable at first with it, but uh, they pretty quickly became comfortable with it because they didn't really have much choice. And um, But at the same time, uh, I think after a while, people came to realise that, hey, well, not every meeting requires me to be there in person. Some meetings it's fine to do via video conferencing and I haven't had to travel there. There hasn't been that expense and the time. So we actually now, I think many of us appreciate having that tool. And I'm saying this as an example of a technology that was uncomfortable at first, but became comfortable. Now, another one would be self-driving cars. We are close to the point where cars, self-driving cars, have reached the highest level of autonomy is level five, where there doesn't need to be human uh, involvement at all and in fact there doesn't need to be a steering wheel or any controls in the vehicle the vehicle just just does it we're not quite there yet i think we're hovering around level four and uh, people like elon musk are making you know big efforts to push to level five i was talking to some people in germany connected to the auto industry there and they're also very putting a lot of effort into achieving this you know for obvious reasons But, um, you know, we could have had semi-autonomous cars driving around for some time now, but we haven't because people are just not comfortable with seeing cars driving themselves. You know, if you're driving down a highway and you look at at 100 kilometres per hour, you look across at the car next to you and there's no one in it, you know, people panic when they see something like that. You know, I'm just saying that I think um, from a practical, optimistic point of view, it does take time for people to get comfortable with new technology. And so I think that is why we don't have flying cars. Well, we do have flying cars, but they're not widely available. They, there are at least a dozen um, types that you can, you can buy. But the other problem with that is the regulatory requirements. The technology for flying cars does exist, but the, the government authority that regulates civil aviation in the national context, needs to be 
100% sure that those cars are going to be safe. So if you look at the civil aviation industry, it is very safe. And that's because there are all of these regulations very tightly regulated. It's going to take time for that to happen with self-driving cars. So there is that social acceptance side of things, but it's also a government regulation point of view as well. So these are all limiting factors in the uptake of new technologies. David Toffley, thank you so much for an enlightening chat on technology and its impact on society. That's the Stratcom Stratcom podcast. Thanks for joining us, David. Thanks very much, Omar. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.